Welcome to Fireside with Voxgeek, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgeek.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker, or just want to improve your on-stage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. Mary, it's fantastic to have you here today on the Fireside with Fox Gig podcast. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, delighted to have you here. Um, so you're, uh, among many other things, many, many other things, uh, a professional keynote speaker. And mm-hmm. I, I like to start with a question, which is to take us back to the very first speaking gig you had, where you got paid. The first time that somebody was willing to give you cold hard cash for getting on a stage. How did that go? It went really well, actually. Um, it, like a lot of things in life, it's a network or connections you've made or you meet somebody and you connect somebody to something else. Um, and you have conversations for a period of time. And next thing, something happens and they invite you to come over and, and speak about the things that you do or the things that you're interested in or a common uh a common interest. And I suppose that's what happened for me. Um, I'd been talking about arts and arts and entrepreneurship because my background is in the arts and how art and entrepreneurship and technology, how there's such a huge crossover with all of that. Yeah. And I'd been to a conference and I'd met this really fantastic Norwegian woman who literally opened a door for me. And I can't thank her enough, Cecilia. And she we had this conversation for quite some time and then she said, can you come over and help us? We're doing this leadership development program with transmedia producers all across Scandinavia. And I think so many of the things that you're doing and you're talking about, I think it would be really useful. So the two of us got together and we put this program together and went to Scandinavia and spent quite a few years working with great games you know, transmedia, um, all that type of stuff. And yeah, one of the surreal moments was sitting on a finance hitch panel yeah. with Dragon's Den, Doug Richard, and many of the other VCs that actually invest in games and transmedia and this huge audience and me. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really good, really, really interesting. So you just never know. You never know where a conversation and a connection can open up to be something that's really beneficial for everybody. Absolutely. And the first gig that you did, was that a panel or was it a was it you had to give a talk? Yeah, the first gig I did was a talk. Um, okay. It was with, I think it was 20 transmedia producers from across Scandinavia. Um, and that was really lovely because you got to understand all those different types of practice that, you know, these women were involved in and talk about, I suppose, the kind of things that I was doing at the time and what I'd learned on the business end more so. Um, And then that developed over time into, um, I suppose, longer engagements. And that was really, really lovely. 
when you were asked to do that talk and paid to do it, how did the organizer know they were getting a good deal? How would you got to the point where somebody was willing to trust you or to pay you to get up on stage to talk? I think a lot of it is to do with the conversations that you have with people. So a lot of these conversations happen online. They happen on Twitter. They happen on Facebook um, and face to face at conferences when you meet people. And I'd sat down with um, this colleague and we had many conversations about I suppose, the state of business and the state of art or the state of creative practice. And I suppose my knowledge and how I was communicating that and I guess other clients that I was working with at the time really helped. And we had a portfolio of of clients and work that we had worked on. So I suppose from there, it was a track record. It was work and knowledge and experience that I was able to communicate and hopefully help these people, you know, continue on with their practice and I think the other part of it was my commitment to help the program that this woman was running at the time to really um, progress you know I really wanted to um, help and um, give as much of my experience as possible and also listen and learn too because you know we all don't have all the answers so I was willing to write up whatever needed to be written up or um, share any um resources or my network as well. So I'd opened up and shared my network with um, these people too. So I suppose I'd been of benefit for quite some time without really realizing maybe initially the benefit that I was bringing to this this project, I suppose. And that's part of it. And and were were you nervous going up on stage or at that stage had you kind of, uh, had you kind of got used to public speaking? Um, I wasn't too bad because I had been given some Um, talks I suppose um, for free at that point or I'd been doing talks for the business that we had at the time and talking about social media and marketing and different things and when I was really small my mum had this um, mission that she was going to equip all her children with the ability to speak in public she was brilliant yeah okay when we were kids She used to line us up in the kitchen and uh, she'd give us something to read or uh, something to read out or whatever else. And she would uh, make sure that we could be heard across the kitchen. And I thought this was bananas when I was a child. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But it it turned out to be so incredibly useful. And whenever um, somebody had to read the lesson at church, you know, my mom would always you know, put one of her kids forward for it. Not because she was a stage mother, she wasn't at all. But she really believed in the power of public speaking and being able to get up and read at church. And as a teenager, that's terrifying. It's the last thing you want to do is to stand up at church on a Sunday morning and read to a congregation (laughs) full of people. So Uh, I guess maybe um, I sorted the nerves early without even probably realizing it. So yeah, I have to say that, yeah. And what came, where did your mother uh, come by that idea? Because, I mean, it's really insightful. And, and, and it's only something I discovered later in life, how useful yeah. public speaking is. But she knew. Yeah, my mom always had that um, ability and that insight. My mom is really interested in drama and local theatre would have been huge for us growing up. And my mom, even with all of us kids, took part in local theatre and still does, actually. Um, and that ability of being able to communicate clearly so people can hear you and understand you. She really felt that that was a skill for life for everyone. And she really made sure that we all, we all developed it and we all worked on it. 
Um, what a wonderful, wonderful gift. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, to, to have that insight is so great. My first public speaking, actually, at, at, this is sort of the, the insight the secret that all Catholics share is um, being made to do reading in Mass. Yeah. Uh, it's great practice for public speaking. It is. And the thing is, you know full well, well, I know, that early on a Sunday morning, there's a whole lot of people who are quite tired and, you know, it's it's a lot of different people and different ears and different age groups and you're generally in competition with a few screaming babies. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's the whole deal. You've got, you've got hecklers, you've got to deal you with You pretty the, much have the yeah. whole deal right there on a Sunday yeah. morning. So, yeah, if you can get over your knees knocking and get up there in one piece and get back down again I think you've done pretty well that's fantastic yeah and, and, and of course you've got a complex sound system to deal with because you know the churches are usually kitted out with, with proper microphones and all that sort of gear yeah and most of the time uh, they don't work either so absolutely you know um so I guess that was in many ways that was early training and again I didn't until I was much older I didn't really realize the um the gift my mom had given all of us so yeah, really thankful for that. It is a fantastic gift, isn't it? Because the ability to speak in public is so career enhancing. I found that for myself. And I mean, you're, you're a good example of just how far it can take you. Not having the fear of standing up in front of people and making yourself heard. It's, it's so important, isn't it, uh, to advance careers? It is. And I think there's, there's a few things. First of all, I think for your self-esteem and for your self-awareness and self-growth, to be able to stand up anywhere at any point and make your um, voice heard, that's hugely empowering. It's scary as hell, of course. But if you can do that and bring people with you and you start a conversation and after you've said whatever it is you need to say and somebody speaks to you afterwards and, and they say to you, you know what, you said something there that made me think about such a thing in a different way or I hadn't quite thought about it in that way or even, no, thank you for getting up there. There is something really lovely about that and those conversations can actually last years. You've just, it's just, you do not know where those conversations can go and I think that's the beauty of it and if you can untie yourself for the, from the knocking knees and the <laughs> and the uh, sheer terror of it. If you think about the relationships that you build and the conversations that you have, I think that can be a really good way to get over nerves. That's an interesting observation. And on this podcast, you know, we have lots of different techniques for getting over nerves and some of them are technical and, uh, you know, those are, are fairly obvious practice. But I, you're bringing an interesting perspective to this, which is, you know, think about the big picture. Uh, and it kind of comes out in, in what you, you were saying earlier. It's the meeting and connecting with people uh, is one of the big rewards from public speaking. It is. And of course, it builds your career. It also means yeah. that you are somebody that's a safe pair of hands that can be sent out into the world and do a good job. And, you you know, your colleagues and your boss and your product and whatever else are all safe because you're going to do a good job and you're going to sell brand you and brand the company, whoever that is, in a positive and good light. And not everybody can do that. Um, So, of course, it's career enhancing. And it also means that you build your own brand and your own profile and people get to know you. So, you know, maybe in the future, if you ever decide to move on to another challenge or take up something new, that kind of fear factor is reduced a lot then because people already know something about you and how you how you speak and how you communicate and also what you stand for. 
And that's really yes. important. It gives you leverage, doesn't it? The world Absolutely. is not a not exactly a fair place and every no. every little advantage you have is a big help. Absolutely. You've done a little bit though to sort of make the world a little bit a little bit more fair. Um, among many of the stuff that you've done, we'll come back to the sculpture in a while. <laughs> You're an entrepreneur uh, across the board, in terms, both in, on business and the social side, and you, you founded an incubator, which we can talk about uh, in a little bit. But uh, did you find that public speaking helped in terms of being able to convince people to go along with the plan? Because when you start something from nothing, you've always got to convince people. Everybody always thinks you're crazy. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's almost like you're selling vapor in the beginning because yeah. you need to sell a vision. Set a vision of something and it needs to be tangible enough and real enough that people can grab it in some way. Um, even when it's only a tiny little dream or it's only a tiny idea. And part of how you present that idea and part of how you tell people what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, that's what brings in the people around you that will buy into this idea and, and help you make it happen because you know, most of these things, you can't make it happen on your own. You need a lot of other people around you to actually contribute. I don't know, be it an employee or um, designers or whatever. You you can't do it all on your own. So you have to convince people from a very early concept stage that actually this can happen and I'm the person to make it happen. So, yeah. you know, believe in me and I'll, I'll, I'll help us get there. It's a uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something public speaking certainly comes in handy with, particularly if you're calling people up to ask them to help you with something that's never been done before. Yeah. So how do you actually communicate that actually this isn't going to kill your career if it all goes wrong? Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? How do you do that? So definitely. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? The ability to verbally communicate an idea and share a vision is really sort of fundamental to human nature like it goes back to ancient societies and and classical times it is one of the sort of primary arts of, of persuasion isn't it it is and the the whole storyteller you know the the, the irish um proverb that the storyteller is wise um yeah. i like that notion because the storyteller gathers up all these different anecdotes and is perceptive and watches the audience and you know has a little list in their head about what works and what doesn't. And then you, you take out those different devices at different times and you, and you, you use that deck to you know, promote whatever you're doing. And if you're a really good storyteller, then that deck is exciting and it's curious and you reel people in and you give them a reason to be there and why they should listen to you. Do you find that um, the act of, of preparing a talk or giving a talk helps clarify your own thinking, um, strengthens the ideas. It does too. And I think if anything, sometimes you become the devil's advocate of your own talks. Oh yeah? Okay. <laughs> you ask yourself questions like, really? Am I really saying that? Actually, what do I really mean by that? Or, <laughs> Watching yourself in real time saying mad yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And do I really believe this? Or is this actually who I am anymore? Or if I put this stat into the talk, um, I've learned that um, over the year and I'm very happy to spend as much time as I possibly can rehearsing and writing things down and going for walks and replaying it in my head. I drive everybody nuts around me, I will say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you use other people to, as practice. <laughs> yeah, because I think 
Um, sometimes I need to spar a talk off somebody else um, and ask if those connections make sense. Um, and sometimes you need to say them out loud to actually hear the connection that you're trying to make. And I find that really, that works. So I'll record my talk in the early days of a talk and I'll listen to it and probably cringe a million times. And then, <laughs> Can um, you do that? Can you listen to your own talks? I, I find that almost impossible. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really, really hard. But um, I find that I get rid of the cliches faster, I think, because I hear my own voice and I understand the parts of it that work and the parts of it don't. And then I actually edit the talk way quicker. Yeah, you get a feedback loop going on. Yeah, if I write it and I'm constantly practicing, that's fine. But if I hit the record button and listen back, it's so much faster. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. that point didn't work and I'll take it out. So yes, it's horrible, but it's just part of the process. You just have to get over yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about one of the things that speaking has helped you found, which which I find really cool. So you started an incubator called Outbox. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I suppose Outbox Incubator for me it's really, really important. I really wanted young women to have a place to go where they could work on their ideas, be taken incredibly professionally and build business ideas, um, new startups and swim in a sea of other young women like them who have the same passion and desire to actually, I don't know, reach for the stars. I, I really wanted to um, create a place that would have all those um, pieces of the puzzle together and in that mix have the absolute best speakers, brains, minds that um, we could get our hands on that would actually work with these young women to you know, create whatever it was that they wanted to create. Because I, I found in my career and I think it very much came from the fact of being um, a five foot two female CEO <laughs> with the co-founder who's six four and uh, wow, okay. <laughs> imagine that um, going into pitches and just not being spoken to mm, yeah. Um, yeah as if the conversation is happening over my head and I'm the CEO and you're the CEO yeah yeah and I'm making those decisions and with my team and moving from the arts that is incredibly uh, female-led for the most part into technology, which was the, the exact opposite. And just looking around me and going, this is bananas. Um, and just understanding that feeling of just being, just feeling really left out that I wasn't being taken seriously for uh, the knowledge or expertise or whatever else that, that I had because maybe I'm five foot two and maybe I'm quiet and maybe I happen to be a woman and all those things mm. um, and understanding that teenage girls face this all the time um, and I wanted to change that and I wanted to you know put a mark in the sand and say right we can have an incubator and we can have it from really young women age 11 to 22 and watch this space world because you're going to knock your socks off. Yeah, it's a fantastic thing to to communicate that there's no speed limits in life. You don't no. need permission. You can just just go do it. No, and I mean, for me, one of the key takeaways for me, and I've always felt this: age does not mean wisdom. Yeah. And I know that nine and ten year old girls could run, run the country, 
that there is there's an energy to to young girls that's and young women that's I don't know we 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 really do we cap the ambition of our girls and that's something I'm really aware of and something I really wanted to yeah is it perhaps because they haven't yet experienced all of the barriers you know it, once you get a bit older in life you start experiencing all the traditional and institutional barriers and, and all of those things that you have to struggle through whereas uh, when you're younger <laughs> you're less cynical because you haven't you haven't seen how bad the world is I suppose well, maybe that could that could be part of it, but there's also a, social, a socialization thing that kicks in around puberty for young women that's well documented and confident and all sorts of things takes a hit at that point. Um, okay. That's, that's well researched. So you've got kind of the double whammy of, um, you know, moving into womanhood and puberty and all those things, secondary school, and then the whole societal thing that suddenly you, you move from being a little girl to a, a young woman and there's there is a really subtle change that happens there um so yeah I wanted to open the door wide and say right okay let's see what we can do here and and how, how has it how has it gone to be to be to be business-like about it I guess yeah, one of had, the outcomes <laughs> we had 116 girls from nine countries over six weeks wow okay and two weeks ago one of those young women um was listed in Forbes 30 under 30. Oh, that's, there you go. That's the um, result. Yeah. And look, the rest, many others have gone on to Cambridge and Oxford and London Business School, you name it, um, pick university. They're there, they're in Trinity, they're studying engineering and genetics. And um, yeah, they these girls are rocking. They really are. And just to pick up on your earlier point, I mean, I, I guess they formed friendships and relationships out of that incubator yeah. a network that, that will help them throughout life yeah it's a powerful network and they reach out all the time they help each other out they write code for each other they um support each other when they're given keynote no talks one of the girls won an every woman rising star award last year anything they need done there's a, a whatsapp group and a facebook group and they just they look after each other they support and mentor each other and they really celebrate everybody's successes. You need that. Uh, I mean, you know, when you start a business, like literally earlier today, um, I had a, <laughs> I was trying to do, uh, trying to figure out how to do something with my VAT. Um, and I was able to phone a former colleague who was a CFO and ask her, how do I solve this particular gnarly issue with VAT? But it's the fact that I had that network, yeah. that you have people you can, you can rely on like that. It's all those little things yeah. that, that create business success, isn't it? Yeah, and they're the crucial things in life. And again, research has shown that women have a lot fewer networks mm. than men, um, be it business networks or formal or informal networks. And again, a lot of that is societal driven. So you give um, 116 young women from nine countries a network um, of each other, first and foremost, and then all the people that you know worked with us over the project it's a huge network and all the connections that they make for each other into the future. So that's a very strong, strong network that will be there for them for their, for the rest of their life. And that was one of the key drivers for me was to create that environment where that network will be really strong. Um, and that would support them as they, as they move on in their careers and in life. That is, yeah, that is fantastic. And, and so is that ongoing or was it a kind of a one-off project? Or, or? We um, had the first incubator in London and we realized then that the 
we had so many applicants we literally didn't know what to do yeah so from from that we um rolled out um a whole online platform with training so we can train leaders in their communities that can start these type of outbox like activities ah. in their own places with their own leaders with a lot of um, material that came from Outbox um, and that's ready to go. So if that's you want to have a Stimillions yeah. Club in your um, hometown or your school or whatever else, or you have a bunch of young women that comes together in a community, they can have a Stimillions Club, follow a house, gain points, learn and be part of the network. That's fantastic. Is that kind of um, based on the Coder Dojo type model where it's it's community driven and that's the way you're scaling it i wouldn't say it's a coder dojo model okay. no i would say this model um leans more so from the girls themselves okay have leadership um development um for those young women who want to actually lead and develop those networks themselves um and i suppose from the rest of the work that stemets have done over the years um the network is really strong so a lot of these girls would have already gone to an estimate event in their school or a hackathon ah, or something okay. like that. Okay. So it's developing a pathway. And then it's also, it's there for those girls who have been to events to actually take it on and lead and grow themselves. So it's very much um, led by the girls. Okay, fantastic. And, and, and when you were getting into technology, was there anything like that for you or did you have to make your own pathway? Um, and I guess also uh, perhaps a more personal question is or what drew you from the artistic side of things? Because you did, you did sculpture uh, in university mm-hmm. to the technology world. I was really, I'm a really curious person. I think that's something that artists do. We're curious and we're constantly making connections between one thing and another. Um, and I really wanted to learn about how to grow and build community online because a lot of the work that I was doing, I understood that the artist brings a community with them. Let's say it's an exhibition or something like yeah, that. Yeah. If the artist doesn't live close by and it pours rain um, or the sun shines the day that your exhibition opens and uh, it's rained for 40 days before that, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're in trouble. And yeah. I've been there and I'm telling really? you, okay. that's, that's not a nice experience. Try uh, giving that speech to three people in the audience. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wrote events. I've been there. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, know what you, mean. you know what that's like. And I really understood that community is really at the heart of anything that you do in the arts, in technology, whatever else. You always need an end user of, of some type or another. I could see that this industry was going to grow and I just wanted to be part of it. And I suppose selfishly as well, I understood that I was pretty good at curating and pretty good at project managing and doing, you know, all of the stuff that you need to do to run a, to run an arts office. Um, but I really wanted to work on, on the business end. And I thought that moving into technology would, would give me all those things and the ability to learn about technology because I could see that it, it was going to be a huge part of the future. Um, and then someday in the future, maybe marry the whole lot together again. Yeah. And they're totally transferable skills, right? I mean, this is the, the skills you have to apply when you're when you're doing startup or starting an incubator are the same skills that a starving artist needs to survive. Uh, Actually, they're exactly they're exactly the skills. Anyone who's yeah. put up an exhibition or 
built a show or any of those things. Um, <laughs> I mean, going to art college was probably the best internship I could have done anywhere at any time. Um, For doing technology startups. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you learned everything about how fast money, you know, what's the burn rate. I could tell you straight yeah. away. I mean. <laughs> Which so many technologists um, lose completely. They don't forget. They're so so busy building technology. They forget to pay attention to the business and the money. Yeah, exactly. So I think at the time I don't, I hadn't any really huge plan. I was just incredibly curious and yeah. So I moved into technology and literally had to, had to learn, um, a whole industry literally overnight because there was just so much to do, as you know, um, with the startup and to try and build that startup and pay people and, um, somehow scale this and bring in clients. And yeah, it was, it was really, really good. And I learned so many things and I met such incredible people and that network that was incredibly important because back then I was not exactly confident in obviously what I knew about this industry. I had a lot to learn. So lots of really good people gave me the time and answered my questions and helped us along. So I think it's important to pay back. Absolutely. One final question. You spent time in Scandinavia. You you live there, I, I guess. No, I just spent a lot of time working there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is more of, a, I guess, a cultural observation style question. In terms of the startup technology culture um you know i'd be familiar with with ireland uk us how does the scandinavian technology and startup culture compare i would say now it's it's very close there's okay. a lot of um fintech um insurtech all you know all the usual suspects blockchain um the thing that interested me initially was culture, cultural startups mm. and cultural products. And um, coming from an arts background, that's what really excited me. And I learned a lot there. So I suppose how now, of course, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, they have obviously different ways of doing things. So it's not really fair to just use the word Scandinavia. But in general, um, I think the amount of time and the amount of respect that they have for cultural products is really important. And I think that's one of the key drivers that you can see so many good um, and very strong IP coming from Scandinavia. It will no more, you know, games, film, um, all of that kind of, of work. But you that certainly has emerged here a little later, maybe. Um, so how they actually talk about and work with culture and cultural IP. Um, it's very, very strong. And how they tell their stories, that's what's really interesting. And then how they weave that into technology and their education is, it's, it's a really good standard of education. So you see a lot of people with PhDs and very deep learning in particular areas um, moving back and starting companies. And that's really interesting. And I think it's also wonderful that the fact that there is such a strong social safety net and, and so-called socialism doesn't prevent an entrepreneurial culture from forming. And it's easily as strong as anywhere else in the world uh, that you are totally independent. It's interesting, too, because both of those things, um, 
they they have scholarships they call scholarships where they actually get money for particular um projects or whatever else and we'll say games or film or transmedia so you could actually get a, a scholarship or a bursary that would help you develop um that idea or that ip and i think that's a very interesting way of looking at it because you know cultural products are a very important part of the economy and they're a very important way of telling stories first of all about who you are in 2019 and also talking to your own culture and then communicating that culture to the rest of the world it's very unique and i think it's something that um i think we could learn quite a lot from yeah it's it's absolutely fascinating um so many writers who who are struggling in ireland you know and they, they can't they have to work other jobs and it's very hard to focus on writing when you have to do other things yeah i mean like in like here in many other places it's it's still a, a struggle it's um it's these things are difficult but it's interesting to see how there is a pathway uh, for people um and then of course um there are funds and there are different places that you can apply for funding um as a scandinavian country so we'll say the likes of nordic game for example and the big conference and um there's many different funds who operate across Scandinavia for um specifically targeting people who are bringing out new ideas or new games or um new TV programs or new films or whatever it is um and that seems to be something i think that's very strong and is working really well for them so you have um you have a chance to get some money and get some funding to test out this new piece of work or new idea or um, and give it legs and then obviously go after funding as you would in any other way. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear about it. It's a, it's a fantastic idea. I think we have come to the end of our time. <laughs> uh, Mary, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing your experiences and, and uh, your journey with us. It's been My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and wrap up another episode of Fireside with Foxy. You can find notes and links from this podcast at foxgate.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, one you can also learn. Visit foxgig.com newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.